So we are on a road trip, is what we are, on a road trip with Paul, going through his missionary journeys. Uh, so far, we've looked at just, you know, his conversion uh, in Acts chapter 9. Just to recap, our three points there was um, good intentions aren't good enough, you know, because what we know is that Paul was a lover of God, but not a lover of Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus and the church, and that wasn't going to be good enough, right? Uh, he needed to uh, be in Christ and love Christ as well. Uh, we also learned there that uh, God can save whomever he wants, just like he did Paul. Uh, Paul said he is the worst of the worst, as how he describes himself. And and God can, there's nobody that's off, uh, that is unsavable. Uh, all they have to do is submit their life to Jesus, and Jesus has the ability to save anybody, uh, and he can save whom he want, who he wants to. The last thing that we talked about there is once he does save us, then he owns us. He didn't save us and then us go live our lives for ourselves. He saved us so that we would then in turn live our lives for him. We were bought at a price. And so it is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives within us. And so that's what we did the first week. And then last week we moved to Acts chapter 13, which is like, you know, the the hinge of a door, so to speak. This is the beginning of... um, the missionary journeys, and Paul goes on three missionary journeys, and this is just the beginning of all of that playing out. And so what we learned there is that's uh, how to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of took away these three things, and that is if you want to be guided by the Holy Spirit, then you have to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. And that's what they were doing. They had spent some time, you know, gathering, and we're going to read over this again in just a second, but they gathered together, you know, fasting and praying and seeking guidance uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing, if you want guidance by the Holy Spirit, then you have to just stay busy doing his work, you know, busy in the church, busy in ministry, uh, however he places that on our heart, for us to use our gifts and our talents as we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because as we pointed out last week, it's easier for God to guide a moving ship than a stationary ship. And so he wants us to be um, seeking his, you know, participation, his, his guidance. But we need to be busy doing things until that takes place. And then the last thing is, is that they were fasting and praying. And we looked mostly into just this whole concept of fasting and what it was. So this week we are going to go a little further and a little uh, deeper into uh, this passage of Scripture. So I'm just going to read it to you again. uh, Verses 1 through 12, Acts 13. Now they, there were in the city of Antioch uh, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, week to which I have called, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, he went down to Lucius, Lucia, 
and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist him. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Papus, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was from the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who was summoned, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, who was also called, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be bound and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeing people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and they saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So this is the amazing uh, beginning of this missionary journey that we are looking into. And it is just hard for me to uh, not just find some very fascinating and uh, uh, important information. And so to be honest with you, I got hung up on verses 4 and 5, and that's as far as we're probably going to make it this week. Uh, and so I wanted to look at this again, and I just want to tell you why that took place and what I wanted to visit with you about this morning. So in verse 4 and 5 of this, it says, On being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and then they went to Seleucia and then sailed to Cyprus. And then they arrived at Salamis. And I couldn't help but just wonder, like, so how is it that the, what does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, we were talking last week about how to be guided by the Holy Spirit and then the things that we just pointed out. But, but did the Holy Spirit send them out with a specific roadmap? Like, did he tell them, you know, where to go, where to turn, where to stop? I mean, was he highlighting all of this? Okay, I need you guys to stop by this quick trip, and this is where you fill up with gas. Buy these items here, and then head north, and, and when you see this big barn, then turn left. I mean, was he given those kinds of instructions? Was he in that much of control with these people? Or, or was it rather like this? The Holy Spirit said, you know what? I come to give you the green light. And it's time for you to go. And I want you just to head this direction. Or did he even give that much? I wonder this, you know, like, because I wonder how is the, can I expect the Holy Spirit to work in my life when I, when I feel like he wants me to head a direction? Does he, does he 
can I expect him to give me all of the turns and the twists and, and the places to stop and all of that? Or does he just kind of give me just a general idea? You know, when I look through Abraham, when God came to Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Did he show him? I mean, like at the beginning, did he like give this map and says, this is where you're going to take everybody, but don't tell anybody. This is between you and I. See, I get the impression that Abraham was as much in the dark as he was given his family. You know, when his family was like, where are we going, Abraham? I think he literally said, I don't know. We're just going to head this direction until I'm told something different or something. And this is kind of important. You know, one, one preacher, a theologian, he said this about these two verses that we're going to look at today. He says, there is a blending here of two factors. There is, one, God's sovereign authoritative choice. Okay? And then there's, two, man's necessity to choose within a more limited area. Like, like there's freedom as long as you stay within God's sovereign choice. In other words, really what he's getting at is that he's, he's getting at the idea that there is a universal will of God and there is a specific will of God. The universal will of God. I want to talk to you about that for a second. The universal will of God is the will of God that he has for each and every one of us. Like there is, there is things that he wants each and every one of us in this room to do in order to be under his will. And it's not just us here in this room. It is actually his will for every single person in Coffeeville. And it's not just Coffeeville. He has a, there's a universal will that goes for everybody. Everybody in America, everybody in China, everybody in Ukraine and Russia and in Japan and everywhere. There's certain things that God wants every single person that's living and breathing to do, to be under his will. How does he communicate this universal will? Well, there's a lot of ways that God communicates this universal will. He communicates it through prayer. When we seek him and we just pray to him, he will guide us. There's a, there's a thing that God has done that, that we all have, and that is like a moral code. And that is that we just know within us the way that the DNA that God has presented in us, when he molded us or knitted us together in our mother's womb, he put in there, in each of us, just a moral understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Right? So it's just there. So we can get this universal will of God through just how he made us through prayer. We also get it through like when we are uh, um, relying on the Holy Spirit that he has given us. As we go to his word, he reveals his, his universal will. We get it through just, you know, observation. Romans chapter 1 talks about that uh, all of us can understand God by just the things around us, you know, the things that are created so that we are without excuse. We get it through preaching, which is what we're doing right now. 
But there's a lot of ways that God, and that's not an exhaustive list, but you get the idea. There's a lot of ways God communicates his universal will for us. Usually the universal wills are commands. Like a command that he has for you, he has for me, and he has for every single person that is living and breathing. Or they are requests or their desires. For example, let me ask you this. Is it God's will for every single person in this world to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Agree or disagree? Agree. And we just know this to be true because, for one, it is written in the Word of God. For, for instance, 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a universal will of his that he wants all people to be saved. And if we were to go on to that, in fact, I think I might read a little further into that. See, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. And, and he's talking about Jesus, and it's his uni- it's universal will for all man is to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. For instance, like John chapter 14, verse 5, he goes on to talk about this. And, and Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's revealing his universal will for all men that we all are saved through Jesus Christ. It's pointless to talk any, actually, about any other aspect of God's will until we have fulfilled this part of God's will, and that is submitted to Jesus. But God has, he has a will for all mankind. What are, like, what are some of the other uh, commands or other universal wills of God that he has for us? Well, he expects all of us to not murder, does he not? To not lie, to not steal, to not covet, to not put any other gods before him, to not use his name in vain. We call those the uh, Ten Commandments. And it's, it's, he made those commandments for, you know, the people of Moses' day, but they were supposed to be established and, and, and delivered and expected upon every single person that has ever lived and breathed. That's his universal will for man. But then there is the specific will, and it's different. The universal will is his will for every single person. The, the specific will is, is God's calling that he calls some people do, to do specific things. And they can differ from person to person. For instance, Paul had a very specific calling we found in Acts chapter 9 when we went there a few weeks ago. And it says there in verse uh, 15, just before that, by the way, this is where God goes to Ananias and says, you're fixing to get a visitor and his name is Paul. And I want you to you know, uh, bring back his sight and baptize him into Jesus. And remember, Ananias was like, wait a minute. Is that a very good idea? 
He's the one going around and killing Christians and persecuting your church and your people. And this is what God told Ananias in verse 15. Look what it says. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, I have chose him for a very specific duty or uh, task for me. And so there's this universal will that is for every single one of us, you know, like the Ten Commandments and things of that sort. But then God sometimes has a very specific will that he just picks us out and says, I want you to go do this. I want you to go do this. I want you to go do this. Abraham understood that because Abraham had a very specific task, calling on his life. Moses would have understood this because he had a very specific, he was called to do what? Go talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And there was Gideon, and there was Samson. And there was me, and there was you. You see, I think we all have a very specific task. We live and breathe, and we're, you know, we, have, we are under uh, his authority, and we all have very we all have these universal things that we are supposed to do in order to be under his will, but then I think we have very specific things we are to do. I remember when I came to Jesus, I just knew that he wanted me to go into ministry. I fought it tooth and nail, thinking surely there's something more for me to do than this. And no, this is what he wanted me to do. What I found is that most of us kind of balk at those specific callings upon God. Moses did, didn't he? God, surely it's not me that you want to go talk to Pharaoh. I have a hard time talking. And Gideon, surely it's not me. I'm the least in my clan. Surely it's not me that you are looking. You need to find somebody mightier and greater than me. And on and on we could look, but they always fought, but God makes it clear. And I think even Paul was dealing with this very thing. Surely it is not me that you want to do this. I know we know Ananias was definitely thinking that, right? But there are times that God wants us to do very specific things. Now the account says here in our scripture today, says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit who laid upon their hearts to go and do and want to do this task, this desire to move out. And then the next, very next thing we read, so the Holy Spirit sent them out. Then it says, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. One preacher wrote this about this. He says, the Spirit did not tell them to go to Cyprus. That was the choice of Paul and Barnabas. The Spirit told them to move out. That's it. But the men decided to go where to go. This is perfectly proper. When they thought over the situation, they decided Cyprus would be the logical place to start. They did not wait for the Spirit to point, point it out on the map. They decided on the basis of natural contacts they had. You see, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so 
were the men who started the church in Antioch. They undoubtedly had many contacts there, so they, that is where they started. But they went with the confidence that God was in that choice. And I read that, and I thought, that's really interesting to me. And I, that might sure be true. And I was trying to figure out, like, you know, just studying it and trying to figure out, is that, is that true? Is that, a, is that an accurate observation on this preacher's, you know? Is it, is it a true assumption that the Holy Spirit just said, go? And then they huddled together and they decided, well, where do we go? And Barnabas says, well, I'm from Cyprus. I know some people down there. And Paul's like, well, I think that's a good plan. Let's go that direction. And maybe that's exactly how it is. I want you also to note in our scripture here that they began in the synagogues. Once they got there, that's where they went, is the synagogues. And we could reason through that, and we could be like, well, that makes sense. You know, they, they're Jewish people. They go to the synagogues because they are wanting to talk to them about God, and they're godly people, so they're going to at least listen to them. And that would kind of make sense, but I don't think that that's why they went to the synagogues. It doesn't tell us in Acts, but it does tell us in Rome, I mean Rome, tells us in Romans that that. Paul was first to go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And what we know is that this is the way that Paul operated every time he went anywhere. He always started with the Jews, and then he went out to the Gentiles from there. And so they go into a city, and what do they do? They go to the synagogue first. And this is a pattern that Paul repeats over and over and over again. As if this is like a specific thing that the Holy Spirit instructed upon them, or God instructed upon them. So I'm just trying to walk through this with you today because I really want us to just think about God's will for our lives. How do we determine God's will for our lives? Where does he give us freedom to make our own choices? And where does he say, you don't have the freedom to make that choice? This is what you are to do. You see, God has a universal will for each and every one of us. I brought up some umbrellas, not because I thought it was going to rain up here, although I think it might rain outside from what I keep getting on my phone. But as we're talking about the universal will of God, I want us to just picture an umbrella for a second. And that when we are, this is kind of nice, blocking that light. (laughs) When we are in God's will, we are under his protection. When we are in God's will, we are like under his blessings. He is able to do that. And But let me tell you, if you are caught in a rain, isn't it a blessing to have one of these things? I mean, it just feels like, man, I got something that some others don't have. You know, I have a little bit of protection from the the rain and the wetness out there that some others don't have. 
And that's the way that we should feel when it comes to the will of God. We should understand that when we are under the will of God, we have protection. And that's what he's trying to do. He's not saying, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that, because he's just wanting to control us and wanting to, although he does want to control us. But it's not because he wants to rob us from, you know, blessings. He's trying to give us blessings. He's trying to protect us in all things. And so he's given us this Holy Spirit to help us discern what is good and right. And he's given us instructions. And the Holy Spirit will remind us, and the Holy Spirit will guide us and help us. Now we have to decide what we're going to do. We're going to have to decide, okay, this is what God says. Do I want to step under his will and under his protection? Or am I going to just stay out here and handle this on my own. Now, there's a whole lot of universal wills of God. I, I thought I'd just pause for a minute. And I mentioned the Ten Commandments. And I mentioned that we have to submit to Jesus Christ. What are some other universal wills that you can think of? That are things that commands that, uh, that are for every single living, breathing person. Can you think of any? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely, that's so essential. When Jesus taught that, who was our neighbor? It's anybody outside of ourself, really. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like that, love your neighbor as yourself. Very good. What about forgiveness? Is that a universal will of God that we all are to forgive? Yeah. In fact, he continues to say over and over and over, if you cannot forgive, what what happens? What's the consequence? Then I won't forgive. And so if we are outside of God's will, that would be like us. If we're inside God's will, we make a choice to forgive. If we decide not to forgive, we're out here. Not only are we outside of God's will, but then we also don't reap the benefit of being in God's will, and that is his forgiveness as well. What else? Anything else you can think of? Okay. Very good. Yeah. Greed. There's just all kinds of them, right? Life is at its best when we are in the will of God. Agree? Oh, yeah. That's where just the blessings, it doesn't mean when you are in the will of God, does it mean that that means no rain ever comes your way? No. In fact, that's one of the reasons that I thought the umbrella is a great example of this because rain comes upon the righteous and what? The unrighteous. Rain just comes is the whole point. Trials come upon all of us. Difficulties come upon all of us. But those who are in the will of God have a protection and a blessedness, uh, this uh, joy of strength, you know, of encouragement, unlike any other. 
And he gives it to us to help us during those times. So I, I wanted some help here, and I thought if I had some kids that were like junior high, high school, do we have any that are here? Will you guys come up here for a second? We're going to try this out. I don't want to, I want to make sure I have, where's Jeremy? He's the back at the kids, isn't he? Okay. All right, there's yours. They're so thrilled about this. I'm so excited. There's yours. I'll give you all a different color. This is kind of fancy. It kind of does it on its own. Okay. Okay. So let's practice this for a second. I'm going to give you a, a passage of Scripture that I think, that we haven't mentioned it yet, but I think is a universal will of God. Okay, guys? And this is what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, any of you married? I don't think anybody's married, right? Okay, that's, that's good. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, why would God say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? In fact, fact, maybe we ought to just back up and say, what does it mean to be unequally yoked? Now, you know what a yoke is, right? It's that, in fact, I don't know if maybe you guys don't know, but it's like this big beam and you can hook two oxen. You can have more than just two, I suppose, if you had a really big yoke. But it hooks them together. So now they're like a team, right? And so you have these two oxen. And they have to move together. They can't fight against each other. They have to move in the same direction together. Uh, and usually they're, they're pulling a plow or they're pulling a wagon. You get the idea, right? And so what God says, it's the universal will of God, he says, do not be unequally yoked. And what does he mean unequally? Well, with unbelievers. And this is his reasoning. He even gives some reasons here. He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bella? In other words, uh, Satan, we could say, okay? And we know the answer to all that, right? What does Jesus and Satan have in common as far as, are they trying to accomplish the same things? No. They're not trying to. They're, they're completely wanting to go in different directions. And that's kind of his point. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And, and the point is, is they don't. They have two totally different objectives in life. They're going in two different directions. One's going in the direction of God and trying to serve God. The other's going in the direction against God, and I mean the opposite of God, and trying to just go through life without God, okay? So two people, ox, I mean two people uh, in this uh, 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 yoke together It'd be hard for them to go on it. So they're just constantly fighting against each other, right? And it goes on, and it says this, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And again, the answer is nothing. They don't have anything. So, here's what I'm supposed, I'm, I'm trying to get across to you guys, and to the church as a whole. When it comes to this universal will, we have to decide, do we want to be under God's will? 
And if we're going to be under God's will, that means that for you guys, okay, because you're probably not dating yet either. Maybe you are. I don't know. You're getting close if you're not, all right? So you have, you remember how people always says that there's a lot of fish in the sea, and you know, and there's more than one, you know, like if you break up with somebody, well, there's more than one fish out there. And the point is, is that these fish are, are kind of like, you know, you're trying to decide which fish you're going to hang out with, uh, which you're going to pair up with. God says that you can only choose between the other Christian fish, right? That's, that's where his limits are. He doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. So that means that if you're going to start dating somebody or that you are going to start looking for a mate to marry, he wants you to marry somebody that you can be um, in like-mindedness with, like that you, that is another Christian, another follower of Jesus. So how many fish out there do you know that do not uh, connect them, that have not connect themselves with Jesus? that have not uh, decided to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. It'd be my guess that most of the fish that you guys associate with would probably fall under that. Do you see what I'm saying? So that limits you a lot, doesn't it? And the moment that you decide, you know what, I think this girl is really pretty, even though she doesn't love Jesus, and I think I'm going to ask her out. That would be the moment that you decide to step outside of the will of God. Does that make sense? And so you make, you're out here on your own because God told you not to do that. God says he wants you to choose somebody that loves him and that is following him because that's what you are. And if you choose to do that, then you chose to step outside of what he has instructed with you. It makes you very vulnerable. It, it, you leave your protection, so to speak. And so when the rains come, all of a sudden you find yourself exposed. And life is harder out here when you're exposed than when you're under the will of God. But you can also choose, like, I, I know this kid, and he's a really nice kid, and I know he goes to this church, and I know that he seems to just love Jesus. I think I might... See if he'll go to the dance with me or the prom with me or whatever. And, and all of a sudden you are entering into this relationship with a full understanding of what God wants. And that is for you to be equally yoked with another person. Now, you guys can uh, sit down or you can stay there. That's whatever you want to do, okay? Well, we're going to keep talking. But, but the point is, is that... There's a whole lot of people, probably in this room, and people in your life that can testify to you how hard relationships are. Are relationships hard, y'all? Yes. And that is, life and relationships are just always going to be difficult. There's always going to be storms that come. There's always going to be rain that comes on all of us. But the relationships that weather the storms, and do the best are those who have Jesus Christ. They're under the umbrella of Jesus, and they're being obedient to him because they can work through those things, whatever they are. 
I have talked to so many people who ended up marrying somebody outside of the faith and how difficult those relationships are because they just have opposing views, worldviews, and opposing things that they're always struggling with. The person who is not of the faith is always trying to pull the person of the faith in their direction, right? And the person of the faith is trying to resist that. And it is just in that in and of itself is so difficult. But it just becomes really difficult when you have some major issues and major things that come your way. Because you don't have God in in involved in each of those people's lives, encouraging them to be faithful and to submit to him and to his authority. And so we could go on and on about this, but you understand. He goes on, I just want to read the rest of the scripture and make a couple more little comments and then we'll move. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. And Jesus said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters, says the Lord. And I just want you to see that when, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to be that we are like his vessel. His spirit now dwells in us. And we are to separate ourselves from those who have not made Jesus their Lord and Savior. Not that we don't associate with them like we're friendly to them and we are nice to them. We continue to be nice to all people. We love our neighbors as ourselves. But we don't yoke up with them. They're not our best buds, okay? Because if you are a true follower of Jesus and your best bud is a non-follower of Jesus, that life is going to be tough. They're always going to try to take you places that you know Jesus would not want you to go. They're always going to try to get you to talk about and interact with things that you know Jesus is not wanting you to go. And they will affect your relationship with Jesus. And so we just have to be wise about this. But I want you to see that when we do that, what Jesus says here, he says, and I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. He is going to be there for you and encourage you and protect you and provide everything that you need. And this applies to everything. I just wanted to use an illustration, but this applies to every aspect. When we are greedy people, it is we are stepping outside of the will of God because God's will for all mankind is to not be greedy. It's not to be covetous, you know, to covet other things. And when we choose to be outside of that, life just becomes a real struggle. Because trials and tribulations will come. We will, we will have hardships. And all of a sudden, we, because we're in this hardship, we are, we are envying other people. We are, we are uh, you know, greedy and we become greedy. And it just becomes something that you know, just doesn't satisfy us. But when we are within the will of God and we choose to you know, submit in this way and not be people who are covetous, 
then all of a sudden we find ourselves being people who are content with what we have and not always hungering for what we don't have. And so it's important for us to live within the will of God. So what does it have to do with our scripture today? I completely understand what that preacher that I read is talking about. I think that in jest, for most all of us, God has given some instructions that are instructions for each and every person. That is, you know, just these moral laws to live by. But then he has given us a lot of freedom inside of this to move and to be. And so for our scripture today, the Holy Spirit shows up and sends them out. And they know that their job is to just carry the gospel anywhere they're going to go. Where do we go? Well, the most logical place, at least where they went, was Cyprus. And it just seems like that was the most logical place because of the context that they had. I don't think that they had to go to Cyprus, but that's where they went. And what did they take there? They took the word of God there. And then they just moved on to the next place and the next place. And I think sometimes when we're moving, the Holy Spirit, we just know because we just feel this, like, I just know I should not be going to this place. Or I, I just think that I shouldn't do this. And you see this a lot in Paul's writings, where he just feels, says, I don't know why I haven't got to come to you yet. But he hasn't. He intended to. In fact, he talks about. But the Lord stopped him. And sometimes God does that in the midst of us. But but he had the freedom to come and go unless the Lord stops, unless the Lord redirects. And I think that that's the same way with us. As long as we're living under the universal will of God, he gives us a lot of freedom. And every once in a while, he'll give us a very specific calling on our lives. Hey, I want you to start teaching. And you might be like, well, start teaching what? Come on, Holy Spirit, you got to tell me. Was it the Sunday school? Was it camp? Was it youth group? Was it, you know, my neighbors? And maybe he's just left that completely up to you to decide. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and probably what you would be doing, especially if you have a, a, uh, a mate that you are equally yoked to, you could sit around and talk like, so I feel God is wanting me to teach. And you'd have this conversation about who that might be. And maybe the most logical thing would be Sunday school. Maybe the most logical thing would be to build a relationship with your neighbors and add them over for Bible study. But it'd be my guess, if he gave you the green light to teach, he might be leaving it up to you to decide where you're going to do that. And I've seen this play out in so many ways. And there's so many other things about that. And when God has made something specific to you, he might not have made it super detailed. And you just got to move in that general direction. Sometimes I wonder, I know that he wanted me to be a preacher, but how did I end up at West Side? Well, it was because I chose to come to West Side. And he didn't say no. He just left the door open. Same way the reason why, how I ended up in protection. Because 
it was available, but there was a whole bunch of places available. And he just let me choose between those, and I went and I did. And I think it's the same way with us. As long as we're under the universal will of God, we have a lot of freedom to move about in that. So let me ask you some questions in closing. To the best of your knowledge, are you walking in God's will? To the best of your knowledge, are you walking in God's will? This doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. All of us step outside of that umbrella in some area of our lives. But we should know that the the longer we are outside that umbrella, the more exposed we are, and the more that it could really hurt us. And we should eagerly repent and come under that umbrella. How often do you stop to consider consequences of disobedience? I don't think that we do this enough. One of the things that I see happen in people's lives around me is when all of a sudden they are outside of God's will and they think they're functioning and doing just fine on their own without doing it the way that he has instructed, right? And then something really bad happens, and the very first thing out of their mouth is, I didn't see this coming. The very first thing that wants to come out of my mouth, and I hold it back often, is how did you not see this coming? You're out here all by yourself without being under the authority of Jesus Christ. Consequences always come, eventually. Sure, you can walk across the street on a, you know, a freeway, with traffic going down and make it across safe once or twice or maybe three times. But eventually you keep exposing yourself to that kind of danger. It's going to catch up with you. And we need to always be thinking about that because if we are outside of the will of God right now in our lives, in some area of our lives, we know what he, know, he, we know what he teaches, we know what he has told us, but we are choosing to be out and we are exposing ourselves to great harm. And consequences could come in our relationships with each other and just life. Where do you need to make changes in order to be more, to be a more faithful servant of God? Because remember, we've already talked about this, but if you, like Paul, finally have found that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that only salvation comes through him, and if you, like Paul, have submitted yourself to God, then you are no longer your own. You were bought at a price. And so we must start asking ourselves this question, How is it that I, what is it he wants me to do? How do I serve him? How do I be a faithful servant of his? And last couple questions. Are there any areas that you want to keep under your control? What is it that you 
are fighting God for when it comes to control. You know, Satan, that's what Satan was trying to create in Jesus when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. He was trying to build this this separation between he and his father God. And so he was tempting him. You just take control of this, Jesus. Turn that stone into bread. You know, uh, cast yourself down off of this and, and demand them to save you, rescue you. Put God to the test. And every time Jesus would say, there's no way I'm going to do that. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Do not test the Lord your God. You know, those kinds of things. How confident are you that his way is best? And I think that's the best one to land on. You see, if you are confident that life under here is better than life out here, you're more apt to make sure that you stay under here. That's the whole reason we use these things, right? We just believe that life under them when it is raining is better. And so we use them. And we all get to make that choice. And I have decided that it is best living under his authority and not under my own authority. He has my best interests at heart, and he knows how this world works. And if he wants me to be equally yoked, if he wants me to not be greedy, if he wants me to not lie and steal, if he doesn't want me to put something else above him, then I just have to trust he has my best interests at heart and life will go better for me when I do this, when I submit to this. And so, how confident are you that his way is best? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your will. We thank you for giving us these instructions, these commands, these lists of how, Father, to be within your will. We thank you for your protection, for your blessings, for your strength and encouragement. We thank you for being our Father and calling us your children. Father, help us submit to your ways. Even when we question them, even when we think that our way would even be better, help us to submit to it, just knowing that you are smarter, you are wiser, and you know best. Father, we uh, thank you so much for your guidance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.